Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Frequent guest on our program through the years has been Dr. Mike Walden, who is the William Neal Reynolds Distinguished Professor of Agricultural and Resource Economics at North Carolina State University. A long title for a man who I just call the state's uh, economist, and uh, I, I let it go at that. And the undergraduates that uh, he blesses with his knowledge and the graduate students are blessed to have him also serve as a professor. And that, of course, is his main uh, main job. So welcome back, uh, Mike. I don't know how many times you've been on this program and on WPTF, but it, it's got to be in the hundreds. It and, does. Uh, and thank you for having me back. And thank you for what you do and, and WPTF does for getting uh, information out to our, our residents. Well, uh, and of course, this program goes across uh, some uh, 35 or 40 affiliates across the state, and we're delighted to have them join us for these weekly get-togethers. Well, the discussion always these days goes around to COVID-19 and the effects of it. And uh, so why don't you just sort of give us an overview from the economic standpoint of where we stand right now? Well, we are in a recovery. Uh, the, most of the economic numbers, most of the economic metrics, uh, most people follow employment. They have been improving. Uh, we had our worst period in the second quarter, um, April, May, June. Uh, in fact, um, listeners may have noticed that the federal government announced uh, this was a couple of week, weeks ago, and now they just did a revision that the economy, as measured by something called GDP, gross domestic product, fell by one third during the second quarter. Now, there's a little footnote I want to make to that. That's what we call an annualized number. And, and what that means is whatever happened in the second quarter, they assume it'll happen for the following three quarters so that they get an annual look. <clears throat> if you look at just what happened in the second quarter, it was down about nine and a half percent. So not as bad, but <clears throat> still, we are in a recession. We have been there since February, but it looks like we're crawling out of it. Um, the, the unemployment numbers have gotten better. The number of people filing for unemployment compensation. In fact, I just looked at those from North Carolina this morning. They've been trending down. Um, jobs are going up. Um, but this is all done. Really, what, what is ruling things here is not necessarily what the federal government does or doesn't do in terms of aid or that the state does or doesn't do in terms of aid. It's all being ruled by the virus. If the virus gets better, if we contain it, a number of new cases go down. Uh, then we're going to keep rolling. And I think the economy could be back to where it was pre-COVID sometime maybe at the end of next year. If we have a recurrence of the virus, it was a so-called second wave, which is actually typical, as I've, I've read about pandemics, is actually typical, then we could, it could be a setback. We could have unemployment go up toward the end of the year, first of next year. The big game changer, of course, and everyone knows this, you don't need an economist to tell you this, the big game changer on the plus side would be a vaccine. If we get a vaccine and we're able to deploy a vaccine and probably what would happen there is um, first responders, people working in hospitals especially, would get it first. Then elderly people, Don, I think you and I would be <laughs> included there. Jason would have to wait a little bit, would get it next and then the rest of the population. That'd be the big game, big game changer. And every time, you may notice, every time there's some good news about a vaccine in terms of trials and success of those trials, et cetera, the stock market goes way up because investors know that's really going to be the ultimate way out of this is to get people vaccinated. Well, it's, it's interesting. And, and this uh, this uh, sort of uh, 
we use the term recession, but this one is a little strange because the stock market is not in a recession. And uh, that's a little different from most economic downturns, isn't it? Well, th th you know, we, this, this is definitely a strange situation. This, I think I counted the other day, this is my sixth recession that I have experienced as, as a professional economist, I mean, more in my life, but in terms of following these. This is like any that we've ever had before. Normally, recessions are caused by problems in the financial sector. Good example would be the Great Recession, so-called of 2008 to 2009, which was caused by an overindulgence in debt, buying homes, lenient terms for people buying homes. We bought too much homes, and when interest rates started to go up, people started selling homes, there was a crash. Or you go back to the, the 1970s, we had two recessions there that were caused by issues in the, in the oil market. This recession is totally different in, in, in because going into the, the year, going into 2020, the economic numbers were very good. In fact, when I gave my economic outlook presentations in late 19 and early 20, I said, we're going to, we're going to have a good 2020. Uh, we're going to continue to see progress in jobs and growth, et cetera. And then the virus came. And what I call, I call this recession the mandated recession because the healthcare people said, look, this is a virus that spreads very rapidly. If we don't do anything to try to contain the virus, we could be in a situation where not, where not only millions of people are infected and potentially hundreds of thousands would be killed, but we could overwhelm our healthcare system. We could have people go to the hospital and there's no, no place to put them. That actually happened in the um, so-called Asian flu of, the, of 1918 to 1917 to 1919. So, so uh, in most states, including North Carolina, said because this, these are state decisions, we're going to have to shut down a big part of the economy, particularly the economy where there's a lot of face-to-face -face contact. We're going to tell people to stay home, uh, don't go to work, and we did that for a couple of months. And it's clear anyone would know if you did that nationwide, you're going to have a contraction in your economy, which which we did. Now that we're opening up. Now that we know more about the virus, now that we hopefully we're, we're going to have a vaccine in not too many months, that I think is the reason for optimism. That's why you're seeing the stock market go up. Now, actually, the market did take a big dip in February and March, but we've, we've rebounded from that. I think some of the indices are now at record levels, but I think there is a lot of optimism about we can, we, we, we can deal with this virus. Uh, it seems like people are more people are getting on board about wearing masks, et cetera and how to behave. And then if we can just contain the virus until the vaccine comes, then we'll be in good shape. One of the, uh, if I can just quickly say, Don, I think I've been reading about uh, um, COVID-19 in a lot of uh, areas, but one of the things I think we are going to see in the next administration, whether it's a Biden administration or a Trump administration, is probably a recognition that we have to take pandemics very, very seriously. And I don't think we were, and, and I don't think that's necessarily our fault. Most countries didn't, because the longer you go without something, the, the more likelihood you're gonna say, well, that's not something we have to worry about. My guess is, or my forecast is, the next administration will probably elevate um, pandemic, I don't know what they call it, Department of, of Pandemic Prevention to a cabinet level position so that it gets the attention it needs, we'll probably spend more money trying to forecast pandemics, more money trying to stockpile the needed medicines and, and hospital clothing, et cetera, for a pandemic, because we probably will have more. We probably will have more. So, so if there's an upside here, it may be 
it will cause us to be better prepared the next time one of these comes around. Well, the other thing that uh, we see in the advertising business is there are a number of sectors that are actually booming right now. Yes. And this also is a little different from some recessions, although even in recessions, there's always a few winners and a few and, uh, uh, along with the, with the many losers. But there are a number of sectors of the economy that are just uh, having a boom period. Yes. And in fact, I wrote a, I do a, a biweekly column that goes out to about 40 papers in North Carolina. And my last column uh, was titled, is it, is it really 2030 rather than 2020? And what I meant by that is that um, a lot of economists who've looked at this pandemic, look at the impacts of the pandemic, say that there were trends that are going on. Remote working is a good one. Remote working had been growing, I think, prior to, prior to the pandemic, about 8% of workers were working remotely from home. Now it's exploded to 40%. And many think that's not going to go away. In fact, if anything, after the pandemic, it's going to go up. So, so I think the pandemic has hastened some of the trends that we were already seeing. Remote working is one. Another is the substitution of technology and machines for people. I think we'll see um, more of that, particularly in terms of services where there's there's face-to-face -face contact, like in restaurants. Uh, I think living may change. People, uh, I think I think there'll be a number of people who will say and families will say, you know what, I don't want to live in a big city because that's where you can get a lot of transmission. The virus likes density, so it can move from person to person easily. And if I'm remote working, I don't need to live in the big city. I can live out in a rural area as long as I get internet, and I think internet will be coming. So I think it could have a big impact on living patterns where people actually live. So yeah, this is going to, and you mentioned some of the businesses. I mean, any business that is dealing, dealing with remote working, any businesses dealing like what the technology we're doing, Zoom. Um, I read this morning in the Wall Street Journal that I think Dick's Sporting Goods was doing a booming business because they're selling all this gym equipment to people to put in their homes. So yeah, there's certainly been some industries and some businesses that have done well. But on the other hand, obviously there have been businesses that are not then well. I was very sad, and I'm sure you are too, Don, to see that um, K&W um, um, declared that they're not coming back. I mean, that was an iconic restaurant in, in North Carolina. Well, and of course, any, uh, any of the buffets and cafeterias are going to suffer more than any because they yeah. didn't have table service to begin with. And while you had an in-room in dining service, uh, you were still uh, serving yourself and, and uh, that obviously involved picking up uh, instruments that other people had touched and so forth. So they, they're going to have to retool their whole approach, I would imagine. And that's going to be interesting to see how they do that. Um, so we have some booming. Of course, the construction industry is doing quite well, at least in, in the triangle. It has. And of course, the triangle is going to continue to grow. But again, I think if, if remote working really becomes the, the norm rather than the exception, um, and we're at 40% now, so we're not too far from majority, of course all jobs can't be dealt with remotely. But I have a little bit of concern for a lot of the office buildings and commercial construction. Of course, there's a lot of that going on in Raleigh. Now Raleigh could escape a problem there because there are so many more people coming to Raleigh. I think in the last, five years, we've had a couple of hundred thousand potentially people come into this, this region. And, and my guess that will continue. But some of the big, I mean, New York City, people are very worried in New York City. Um, New York City is, is a, I've been read, I've not been there recently, is a ghost town. 
And so I think some of the big metros will have issues. Our guest is Dr. Mike Walton, who will be back with another segment of Carolina Newsmakers right after these messages. One in three adults has prediabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has prediabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke anime Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Tom has been a teacher for over 40 years. One day, I think one of the students had asked the question and he didn't remember the answer. And I also noticed that he was letting his class out earlier than they were supposed to let out. I was really starting to worry. Levi and I talked about how it would change our lives, but he was there beside me. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers with our guest, our frequent guest, Dr. Mike Walden, and who uh, we've been talking about the economics of the uh, COVID-19 and how it's affecting uh, the general economy. Let's put your other hat on right now and... uh, uh, talk about uh, what is happening on the college campuses because uh, both UNC Chapel Hill and North Carolina State uh, resumed classes. Uh, it was uh, supposed to be a partial return to the classroom and a partial online situation, but the students were going to be back. Well, we had outbreaks and that changed all that. So uh, speak to what uh, what has happened uh, at, uh, at NC State because I think it's almost identical to what's happening at Chapel Hill. And probably will likely happen at the other campuses. Uh, it is, and, and what's happened recently is that NC State for undergraduates has gone all to virtual learning. Uh, we did have some in, in-person classes. I wasn't involved in any of those, but now all classes for undergraduates have gone in-person, which I haven't talked to any of my colleagues who have had to make the switch, but that that's easier said than done. So my, my sympathies go out to them as well as the students. Um, graduate students are still around. But um, the campus is, is very, very scarcely populated. In fact, I received a, an email today to say that the buildings are all going to be locked uh, now. They were open the last couple of weeks. Now, faculty can get in with a, with a card, but they, they really discourage people coming on, onto uh, campus. Again, um, I've been one who's experienced this virtual remote learning. Um, it's actually worked out fairly well. I've been able to have committee meetings, faculty meetings. I've been able to do presentations to various groups that I talk to, uh, interviews like with you. So I'm one of the lucky ones who've been able to continue my work uh, with the virtual technology. But on the other hand, people who, for example, are, are great support staff who uh, clean the offices, uh, who maintain the buildings, et cetera, they have to be there. I'm not quite sure what their status is. But we've really seen, Don, in this pandemic, uh, unfortunately, there has been 
changes that have affected people of different income levels, which have worked to actually make the income inequality issue broader because it's, it's really professionally trained people uh, who tend to have higher incomes, who've been able to work remotely, whereas people who are working in, in the service area on an in-person basis, and they have to do in-person, they've actually lost out. So this is another, I think, um, a big impact of this pandemic. And then one other thing that I'll tie into this, and that that goes along with my earlier statement, I think we're going we're gonna to see, Don, in the next couple of years, and this ties into higher education, a big need to retrain a lot of people, uh, particularly those people who do or are working at the, the service level where there's in, in-person communication, and, and, and that's going to that's going to be diminished if not go away. And so I think we're going to have to have some, some real effort at the higher education level, particularly our great community colleges and our four-year colleges to recognize this and have set up programs that can retrain people in a very quick focused way. These fo- folks who are, who are going to wake up one day and their job is gone because the machine's taking it, they don't have time to spend four years getting a college degree. They've got to train for something new where they can get that training in six months or a year. And I think we're going to have to step up and do that. Well, you know, uh, I, I suspect that I uh, would like to spend some more time with uh, Chancellor Gutswitz and Chancellor Woodson, but I suspect right now long-range planning for them is probably about a week out because uh, <laughs> things sure. can change. And, and, uh, but, you know, has there been any conversation about how long uh, – this condition will remain at NC State and Chapel Hill. Uh, are we talking about one semester? And will there be a change, for example, if there is a vaccine, how long would that take yeah. to have an effect on what's happening on the college campuses? There's been no, to my knowledge, at least I haven't gotten any information about, about spring semester. I have my I have my opinion, and you know, I'll air my opinion or my, my forecast. And that is we're obviously in a virtual situation for all the fall semester. And I would suspect, I would guess that, and this is Walden, it's not that I'm not the official spokesperson of NC State, so this is just my view, that we will likely at least start the spring semester in the same situation. Because again, if we're looking at a vaccine as the ultimate solver of this problem, uh, and if a vaccine, the quickest I think a vaccine could be ready and, and pass all the tests would probably be the end of the year, but then it's a matter of getting it deployed. I mean, we have 300 and almost 350 million people in the country. And this may be a vaccine where you, you don't, you, you need multiple shots. Um, so it's going to be a big effort to get everyone vaccinated, uh, even if we, even if we have a vaccine by the end of the year. So this is going to go into the spring semester. So my, my forecast, only a forecast. Don't speak for Chancellor Woodson at all. And, and in some sense, I hope I'm wrong, is that we would start the spring semester probably in the same manner that we're, we're going to do this in the uh, fall semester. So as an educator, what uh, effect will this have on the, the uh, education the kids are having? Because, uh, it will be, uh, you know, there's obviously a social aspect that is also beyond just fun and games. I mean, there is the relationships that uh, develop friendships that, that last a long time and that sort of thing. But also, uh, I suspect uh, students encourage other students and, of course, participation in classroom activity goes down somewhat. So uh, how, how is this going to affect the overall educational value that the student receives? Well, if this had happened when I started my career 43 years ago, um, 
we didn't have the technology we had today. When you were eight years old. Yeah, we probably would have had, obviously would have shut down. Students today are used to technology. Um, that's their go-to. My, my guess, my forecast is that, yes, we will go back at some point to in-person classes, but I think teaching virtually, which was already growing rapidly at universities uh, like NC State, I can't speak for any others, uh, that's going to be with us and it's probably going to get bigger and it's probably going to get better also. I mean, if you look at technology in America and something starts out small and there are a lot of bugs, you know it's, they're going to be fixed and it's going to be better and better and better because that's what we do. So my, my forecast is that five years down the road, we may normally, we may normally be teaching at least half of the classes online. And students will like that because students are different now and they can learn better and will be able to learn better as the, as the uh, te technology for teaching virtually uh, improves. Some say actually that teaching classes uh, virtually could be even better because you, you get a situation where you get the best teachers. Uh, we're all different. Uh, I happen to think I'm a pretty good teacher, I've been told, but we get the best teachers who can teach big, big classes and then maybe you have smaller interactions with, uh, with others. So, I do think this is this experience has permanently changed how universities are going to operate in the future. Now, of course, uh, most I, I guess most people that are not intimately familiar with colleges don't really understand the role of graduate students because so much of what graduate students do, especially as they work past their master's degree into their doctor doctoral degree, is research, and that almost has to be done on campus. So how do you see uh, the graduate students affected by this uh, change in uh, the situation? Well, you're absolutely right, Don. The, the, the impact of technology and the ability to teach and educate using technology will vary by major. Uh, in my area economics, uh, I foresee that and have been doing a lot of this virtually. I can interact with students virtually. Uh, I don't need to be running experiments and show them that in, in, in person. But in areas like uh, the physical sciences, maybe even engineering, especially at the graduate level, yeah, there's going to have to continue to be that in-person interaction. And I think there will be. I think there will be. But I think for a lot of majors, especially at the undergraduate level, we will probably be in a world in five to ten years where a lot of the education is provided uh, virtually, not, not in person. That doesn't mean that no student will, every student will, that doesn't mean that all, some students will never have an in-person class, but it does mean that there'll be the opportunity for them to do that virtually. And for many students, that may be the optimal way to go. It may, may give them better, more flexibility. It may mean they can, they can stay home or with their parents or live where they want and still interact with uh, their professors and their classes. So um, what I foresee is maybe in the future, a menu where students can come to class and have classes in person or they, and for some majors that'll be required, but there'll be, a, there'll be options for virtual education. And I think that virtual education will get much, much better. And I might say, even at the K through 12 level, I think maybe this experience will, will give more focus on providing better tools for students to learn. There are some, some of my colleagues in the College of Education have developed a, teaching programs using the computer where uh, the everything is customized for that student. And if a student is working through a problem and they get it wrong, they get instant reaction. So in some ways, the technology 
of teaching via computer programs, some of that is actually better where you have better capabilities to meet the students' needs than you do with students all in one big class with one teacher. Of course, one of the losses for the student are meaningful extracurriculars like ROTC, the, the band, uh, uh, the non-Olympic sports uh, activities, the, uh, all these things that uh, uh, they're also lost. And uh, that's something that uh, the students will miss and miss sorely. Yeah, and, and hopefully, and I'm not saying, and I, I certainly agree with that. I was in ROTC. It was a great experience. Um, I, I think that we, we certainly want to keep those. And But what I could see is some students saying, well, I want those experiences all the time, so I'm going to be an on-campus student all the time. I'll have other students who say, I want some of those experiences, so some semesters I might be on campus, others I won't. So the, it'll be a variety, but you, I, I certainly agree with you. We want to continue to offer those experiences, and I think we will. My point is that I do think virtual teaching will be a bigger part of education, really at all levels in the future. Our guest is Dr. Mike Walden. Uh, we'll be back with another segment of Carolina Newsmakers, and we'll do that right after these messages. Hey, Dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey. Why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Hey, Dad, how do airplanes fly? What's in this box? Is this tree good for climbing? How are babies made? What does this thing do? Kids are curious about everything, including guns. Talking to them about gun safety in your home is a good first step, but you can do more. Always keep your guns locked, unloaded, and stored separately from ammunition. Safe gun storage saves lives. Learn how to make your home safer at nfamilyfire.org. That's nfamilyfire.org. Brought to you by N Family Fire, Brady and the Ad Council. Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. Our guest this week on Carolina Newsmakers is Dr. Mike Walden, a very frequent guest on our program. And uh, we've already talked about an overview of what the COVID-19 situation is as far as the economy is to the state of North Carolina. And then we had him put on his, uh, his hat as a professor at NC State and talk about uh, the changes in education. Uh, I think the, the next area I'd like to go to, Mike, is what effect is this going to have on city, county, and government and state government because uh, North Carolina, of course, is one of those states that has a requirement for a balanced budget. With the economy down, income taxes, uh, income is going to be down. Sales tax is going to be down. That's uh, two of the primary sources of income. Uh, so uh, what effect is this going to have on our cities and counties and uh, the state government? I think it's going to be a very challenging time. Uh, unfortunately, right now, we don't know the total effect. Governor Cooper just uh, released his budget recommendations 
for the next fiscal year. He released them yesterday. And in that release, he is making use of, I think, about $900 million of federal dollars that were appropriated to North Carolina for uh, uh, COVID-related activities. And I think there's some flexibility there. And he wants to use those dollars in, in different ways. And, and Governor Cooper's budget does not, does get us through the next fiscal year, as I understand it, without a tax increase. Now, of course, as you know, Don, that's going to have to go through the legislative uh, process. I think in that budget also, the governor wants to increase unemployment compensation payments to workers. North Carolina is, is on the low side there, which would dig into the the um, uh, reserves for the unemployment compensation system. So they're gonna be, we're gonna hear a lot about this over the next couple of years. The budget, the, the economists who work for the General Assembly, who are in, who have the job of forecasting revenues, uh, they're going to be coming out with some new numbers next month, September. So we're in a period here, Don, where we really don't know precisely. If I had to render a forecast, I think we are going to be in a challenging situation where the state's going to have to make some tough decisions. But I don't think right now, I don't think that we're going to be in a situation where there's going to have to be drastic cuts uh, across the board. The economy is recovering. Fingers crossed it'll continue to recover. Uh, we do have, we have, we have gotten large amounts of money from the federal government. I think the trick there is to make sure we can use them in a flexible way. And I think the federal government is, is, is uh, becoming a little more leaning on that. So um, I'm, I'm not looking for disaster for this, this upcoming year, uh, fiscal year, but I do think there'll be challenges. Well, North Carolina, of course, has, uh, as we've talked about a number of times, 20, 25 counties that are booming and some 75 counties that are either stagnant in their growth or actually losing. Uh, some of those will have even more challenges as far as their budgets. And uh, uh, that's, that's gonna be another challenge for the General Assembly to figure out how to handle that situation. That's right. I mean, most of our counties rely <clears throat> importantly on the property tax. So if property values don't go down, uh, which rarely, uh, in a, only in a dramatic situation do they do, uh, those property values should should hold up and the revenues from those, those, those property taxes uh, should do well. Now, you're absolutely right. Counties get a piece of the sales tax. And if people aren't spending and haven't been spending at rates, um, uh, then that's going to affect that. Although the numbers on on sales, on consumption, consumers may have actually been fairly good. I think compliments of the, the dramatic um, impacts of the federal government's had in terms of the stimulus checks and the, the bonuses, to unemployment compensation, et cetera. So again, I think municipalities, counties, the state, university system, community college system, all of them are going to have challenges, but I don't think we're in a disastrous, the challenge is going to be overwhelming that we're going to have to have big cuts here and big cuts there. Right now, it looks like, hopefully, fingers crossed, they will be they will be manageable. Everyone will not get what they, they want to have, but I don't think we're in so, some sort of a, a great depression situation, if I can use that term. Well, it's, it's certainly an interesting thing. Now, let me ask you this. You uh, said earlier that you watched uh, six recessions. How many of those recessions have been uh, and occurred during an election year, and how much of an effect do you think uh, the, uh, the election process is going to, to affect the legislation and the actions of the General Assembly and the federal government on how we 
aid and assist the, not only in healthcare, but also the economies? Well, of course, we're, we're two months out from the election, and uh, the, the Congress is actually, I think, adjourned. Um, North Carolina General Assembly is coming back. And I don't, think we're, I don't think we're going to get a lot of movement out of Washington, and I, I think we're going to have a big debate here in, in, uh, in, in Raleigh about governor's budget and alternatives. Uh, to answer your first question, uh, clearly recessions, a, a sitting president does not want to run for re-election during a recession because people tend to associate bad economic times with the president. They also associate good economic times with the president, whether president, particular presidents had any impact or not. I mean, Jimmy Carter, former President Carter is the best example of that. He was running for re-election uh, during a recession and the, the results were disastrous. Gerald Ford was running for um, not a re-election, but uh, elected on his own to be president. Uh, we were coming off of a fairly bad recession, and of course, he lost. So generally, recessions are not good for the incumbent. I, this this may be, this time may be different in the sense that um, we may be the economy may actually be on the upswing, a small upswing, but an upswing. And so there 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 may be some rising optimism there. I do think people. Um, and I may be overstating this, but I think a lot of people understand this was not your typical recession. It was caused by the COVID. I think probably the administration, the Trump administration, and I'm not, not taking sides here, but just in terms of their vulnerability, probably are more vulnerable in terms of, of people evaluating them on whether did they take action soon enough to deal with the virus or, and, and, and have their actions been consistent, et cetera. So my guess is that this election is going to be turned more on the on the virus and where we are with the virus and can people see improvement as opposed to the economy because I do think the economy is going to continue to prove, uh, improve up to election day. Well, it's certainly an interesting situation that we find ourselves in and uh, uh, the uh, economic situation uh, improving uh, could uh, greatly be affected by announcements about vaccines. And that's the reason a lot of people- Oh, absolutely, absolutely, yes. Yeah. So uh, um, we uh, we were talking earlier about uh, uh, the federal debt because the federal government yes. uh, is now considering another stimulus package. What do you see coming out of that and how will that affect the economy? Well, right now it doesn't look like we're going to have any agreement in the Congress uh, to to have another federal federal stimulus package. I could certainly be wrong, but right now it looks like the the two sides are very very far apart. Um, we have done a lot. Washington has done a lot. I, I give them credit for moving very quickly, and I think the reason they did move quickly, and this is in March April period, is because they knew that closing a large part of the economy and at its peak roughly. 40% of 30 to 40% of the economy was effectively closed. They knew that was going to cause a recession and they knew people were going to be hurting. People were be business would be hurting. So they passed things like the stimulus checks, the payroll protection act, the supplements to unemployment um, uh, compensation, et cetera, which, which, which pushed trillions of dollars into the economy. And that's why if you look at the numbers, Don, it's actually amazing. If you look at consumer spending, barely a blip there downward. Cons consumers continue to spend, and not in the same way they had pre-pandemic, but they continue to spend. And do you know, Don, that actually during the last few months, consumers have actually paid down on credit card debt, and the savings rate has gone up. So, so the, the actions the federal government took, I think, were very, very essential to trying to, to, to keep the cost of this 
recession, this pandemic-related recession down. Now, you're absolutely right. Where did all this money come from? It's been borrowed. It's added to the national debt. Now, people ask me, well, Walden, uh, should they have done that? Well, I don't see any, I don't see any alternative. If we wanted a large part of the economy to just be destroyed, and if we wanted literally people to be out on the street with no way to, to keep themselves alive, then that's what would have happened if we hadn't borrowed the money. So yes, we did borrow the trillions of dollars, but I think there was a good reason for doing that. So the next challenge, of course, will be once we're back on our feet, will the Congress figure out some way of how to manage that debt in, a, uh, in, a, in an effective way? Which leads me, Don, if I can do this, and authors always do this, to promote my new book, uh, okay. which is just released. It's called Real Solutions, Common Sense Ideas for, uh, for Solving Our Most Pressing Problems. I, in that book, I talk about education, both uh, lower education, higher education, healthcare, income inequality, national debt, taxes, spending, the environment, immigration, all the big hot, top, hot uh, topics, uh, hot button issues. I use my over four decades of experience in following these. So I'm very proud of this book and people have read it have said, you know what, uh, you really write very clearly and, and I really understand what you're talking about. So if you want a perspective on how we might address these issues down the road, uh, go to your favorite bookstore or online and order Real Solutions. Well, Mike Walden. Well, uh, I'm always glad to promote your books because they're always great, and they uh, do. Uh, they are written in a way that uh, laymen uh, like myself and folks who are not uh, great students of uh, whatever subject you happen to be dealing with can understand. And I've always valued the way you make uh, complex issues uh, simple enough for my simple mind to understand, and and that's very much appreciated. Um, so uh, speaking of the federal budget uh, debt, uh, percentage-wise, uh, how much more can we go before we are really getting to some point of a, uh, of a uh, place where the flags start going up and saying, wait a minute, uh, this is getting to be dangerous territory? Well, the good news here, Don, is that with interest rates very, very low, in fact, the Federal Reserve came out today and said that they were effectively going to keep interest rates extraordinarily low for the foreseeable future. They care, you know, this as a business person, there's debt and then there's the, the carrying costs of the debt. And the carrying costs of the debt as a percent of the economy is actually still relatively modest uh, comparatively. So as long as interest rates are low, we can go on. There is no magic date out there where, where we're going to fall apart. In fact, there are countries in the world like China and Japan, uh, interestingly, who have debt levels compared to their economy much higher than ours. Now, does that mean we can just, just be willy-nilly borrowing whenever we want to? No. I mean, what I talk about in my book is when there's nothing wrong with borrowing as long as you're borrowing for a good reason. And I think keeping the economy and people afloat during this pandemic was certainly a good reason. I think other good reasons are investments like in roads and bridges and maybe high-speed internet, et cetera. So these are things I do discuss in the book. Our guest is Dr. Mike Walden, and we'll be back with one final segment here on Carolina Newsmakers right after these messages. Not completing high school is more of a social thing than it was an academic thing. I came out in the 11th grade. Nobody was embracing you. The kids were cruel. It was very difficult to be gay. Even though all these years have passed, I still had that longing to have my diploma. The hard part was determining that I was gonna do it, but I definitely didn't do it alone. 
At age 30, with the help of her mentor, Carissa finished her high school diploma. I have a mentor, Maria. She convinced me to continue my education and to finish what I started to get my diploma. She just never judges. She's a true role model. If you're even considering getting your high school diploma, go get it. You can do it. No one gets a diploma alone. If you're thinking of finishing your high school diploma, you have help. Find free adult education classes near you at finishyourdiploma.org. That's finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. You're never completely ready to adopt a teen. For late nights writing English papers. For your teen's music taste. For dinners, where they talk more on their phone than with you. For the first time, they call you mom. You're never completely ready to adopt a teen. And you can't imagine the reward. To learn more about adopting a teen, visit AdoptUSKids.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AdoptUSKids, and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers with our frequent guest, uh, Dr. Mike Walden, who uh, we've had a great visit with. And if you uh, we're not with us from the beginning, and you'd like to hear the entire broadcast. You can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com and hear the entire broadcast. A number of the stations that carry this program carry an edited version that ends up being 30 minutes, and the program itself is longer. If you'd like to hear the segments that you miss, you can also go to carolinanewsmakers.com and hear those two segments, carolinanewsmakers.com. Jason Kong, our producer, isolates those segments that you miss as well as identifies the entire program. And if you'd like to share it with a friend, you can do that. Well, uh, Dr. Walden, we start off talking the overview of the economy. Uh, then we move to what effect it's having on the colleges and universities. And then we move to uh, how state and county and city governments are going to be facing with finding solutions and what uh, problems are going to be uh, created because of uh, uh, perhaps a drop in tax revenues. Let's talk a little bit about the consumer now. And of course, you alluded to it at the very end of the last segment. Interest rates are at all time low. Mortgage rates are as low as they've ever been. They, they are. And um, the home building industry has actually done for fairly well. Uh, home sales have done fairly well. And I think that's, that's a tribute to the lower interest rates. But I think also people are, are confident in the future in this economy and their jobs. Um, the building sector has continued. The, the governor, Governor Cooper, said that was one of our essential issues. So if you drive around Raleigh, you still see, see street construction and you still see homes and office buildings and condominiums being, being built. Uh, yeah, consumers have done, I mean, I, I don't want to minimize this. And, and, and clearly there are people out there who are just absolutely struggling. And, and, and our heart goes out to them and I hope we can reach them and do more. Uh, but if you look at the depth of this downturn and you look at how the consumer has fared, uh, I would have predicted the consumer would have fared much worse. And again, I do attribute the better situation for consumers overall to the intervention of the federal government through, through its various programs. I think the challenge, uh, Don, uh, next year for a lot of people will be that I think we're not going to go back to where we were. Uh, that's that's a mistake in thinking. If, you, if if anyone thinks that, all right, once the vaccine comes and the economy settles down, we're just going to pick up where we were in January of, of 2020. No, we are in a permanently, the, the, the COVID, the pandemic has permanently changed this economy, 
particularly in, in terms of the types of businesses and the types of jobs that are available. So as I said earlier, I think we're going to face a big challenge uh, in 2021 and beyond of, of a number of people in our state and our communities who find they want to work, they've been working, they're hardworking, but they find their job is just not there or the hours aren't there and they're going to have to retrain. That's, that is my biggest concern that we make sure we're ready to help them get through that, make sure we can identify areas that are going to be in need, in demand in, in the coming years in this changed economy and then provide the educational opportunities for them that are that are focused, that are fast, and that are uh, inexpensive. Now, uh, of course, uh, those who are working, and of course, as you stated, we've got two two groups of people: people who are out of work, and their their situation is entirely different from those who right. are still working. But those who are still working and still have relatively the same amount of income, their family budgets are changing. For example. Uh, travel, vacation, recreation, and entertainment budgets have greatly been shifted and for the most part uh, lowered considerably. Where is that money going to go? Well, I think we are also going to see a shift in how people spend their money. We've seen that, as you just alluded to, during this pandemic, people are spending more on on the grocery, on supermarkets. They're eating, doing more eating at home. Uh, they're not they're not traveling. Um, they're spending more on home entertainment. They're spending on more on remodeling their homes and maybe adding some uh, some um, exercise facilities indoors and outdoors. Um, it's going to be very interesting to see how much we do go back to approach normal. I don't think we're ever going to go back to pre-COVID, but I think obviously when the economy gets back to some sense of normalcy, people will begin to eat out more. Some people will join gyms, et cetera. But I do think some of those areas will, will not be the size they used to be. I think the number of gyms are going to be permanently smaller. Probably the number of bars and restaurants are going to be permanently smaller. So all those industries where there is still a high degree of face-to-face -face personal contact, I think people are going to keep in their heads this, this threat of, of a virus being spread through a lot of face-to-face -face contact. I think that's going to linger with us. For maybe a number of years that's going to affect buying habits and we're all learning new tricks for example we're doing this program by zoom you're at, right. you're at your home i happen to be in the office today but several times i've done my program this program from my home and uh, of course that uh, is a new trick that we're all learning and for example in your case it saves your travel time to and from right. the studio so that some additional time and uh so uh, I suspect that business travel is going to be greatly affected by the habits that we picked up during this so-called uh, new normal. Yeah, and, and one of the upsides of this may be if people work more from home, maybe not exclusively, maybe go to the office one or two days a week, but they work more from home, think of the reduction in daily traffic. We're not going to have those traffic jams, at least the level of them and the, and the, uh, the frequency of them. In, in the Raleigh area, any other big metropolitan area, or of course in North Carolina, you get a lot of commuting from rural counties into the big cities. You're not gonna have that as much. And that's going to reduce perhaps the need for some families to have as many vehicles they have. That could free up a lot of money for people. And the wasted, the downtime of setting in traffic and getting to and from work, you, you could have a, a degree of stress reduction among households go down and perhaps potentially more time with their children. So there are all sorts of, of, um, of uh, implications post-COVID 
that I think we could be seeing, uh, many of which I, I view as, as, as po probably positive. Well, we all learn new tricks, and certainly we've learned uh, one by use of Zoom and things of this nature. Uh, I, for one, feel like I'm more in touch with our out-of-town radio stations than I've ever been because I'm meeting with them far more frequently. And uh, the difference between uh, uh, a telephone conversation and seeing the faces is amazing. I mean, it, that brings uh, a whole new dimension to having conference calls. I agree. I agree. Seeing people as you talk to them, even if you're not there in person, yeah, it gives me at least a, a greater degree of uh, being in touch with you. And, and I, I would expect this technology is going to get nothing but better over time. Um, and uh, that's why I do think that remote working is probably going to be at a permanently higher level and increasing. It's not going to go back to the 8% it was pre-pandemic. Pre We've got about 30 seconds for this answer. Do you see that experience happening with your students as you go to virtual learning? that you will have more face-to-face -face actually because of Zoom than you had before? I do, I do. I think there'll be a tremendous amount of investment by companies in learning technology, and I think it will get better and better and better. That's why I do think it'll be a permanent part of the educational experience in the future. So if there's just one thing we need to look uh, at uh, as an indication that we're getting better, what would that be? What would the thing that you would point to is being a real indicator that we're getting somewhere. Well, the reduction to, to see that initial claims for unemployment are going down and any news, any news on a vaccine. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Walden, uh, Mike Walden, who's, uh, as I said, been with us so many times. Don't forget his new book, Real Solutions. You can go online and order it, and I'm sure you will enjoy it because all of his books make uh, learning about the economy easy. Our program has been produced by Jason Kong, and he'll have another interesting guest for us next week. In the meantime, if you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast or share it with a friend, you can go online and do just that. So the next week, same time, have a nice week, everybody. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.